us tonight as we come together to study God's Word once again. I'm so glad that you are here. Glad that you're here to, to study God's Word together with us. We just finished our series on Sunday morning on the music of marriage, and it was a, a, a great series. But now we continue our series tonight as we started some time ago, looking through various chapters that we find in the Bible that gives us the theme, victory, victory. You know as well as I do that the entire book, the Bible, is a victorious book and we can, we can really gain a lot by our study in this particular book. The hero being the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, with the theme of salvation from sin, through him. And it's really hard to say that if I have a favorite book in the Bible, because they're all good to me. But there might be one that I like to lean on a little bit more than the others. But the reason for that is because every book in the Bible fulfills exactly what God had desired for it to fulfill. Each one has its place, and each one is important. And if I come to the New Testament and I study the epistles written by Paul, I must say that I have a very close attachment to the book of Philippians. I love the marvelous thing that we find throughout that particular book, which is joy. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. We've always used that uh, uh, acrostic for joy. But the victorious Christian, that is the Christian whose life is filled with much joy. Now remember that joy and happiness are actually two different things. Two different things. Happiness is something that is outwardly expressed externally. But joy is something that is internal. Internal. And it's something that takes place on the inside. You see, you can have joy... And it can be overlaid with happiness, and, and of course that's wonderful, but you don't necessarily have to have happiness in order to find joy. And so that's how we understand. Now, that may seem strange, right? But you see, happiness deals with our outer circumstances. Sometimes circumstances in life are really not good, and therefore, because of the circumstances, we may not be very happy. And yet, there's an inward joy. There's an inward peace that can still sustain us even during those difficult times and those moments. And that, of course, we realize in, that it's been provided by Christ himself. And so the book of Philippians, a study of joy and likewise a joy to study. The victorious Christian life is a life that's filled with much joy. Now, if you want to talk about somebody being a joyless Christian, you might as well go ahead and say that there's something called a heavenly devil. I mean, it, it just isn't it, is it? I mean, that's, they, it just doesn't work. If a person is really a Christian, a follower of Christ, then he has this joy that is deep down within him. And we, we need to understand that. Now, Paul was not at the time when Philippians was written in a good place to be. He was in the Philippian jail. And 
uh, knowing the times that I have been in the jail and, and visited with some inmates and had studies with them, there, there's something that you, you just cringe every time you hear that door slam behind you as you walk in. Because it sounds like a door that might not open back up. And I, I do want to leave after my time is over uh, with my studies with them. And so it's, it's kind of a scary thing. But to think that Paul is in a place that's not really a good place to be. And this is one of those prison epistles. And yet Paul was, teaches about this marvelous subject called joy and the fruit of the Spirit that we can bear in our lives. And he even, when he was in prison, Paul knew how to have joy by the lives of other people as well. Now notice in Philippians 1 and verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Very important there. Paul said, when I think about the church at Philippi, since he's writing this letter to them, I have to get on my knees and I have to thank God for you as the brethren. How would you like it if you knew that the Apostle Paul had regularly prayed for the Central Church here in beautiful Clearwater, Florida? I mean, if he was alive and doing his mission work as he was doing some 2,000 years ago, would you feel so honored to be able to know that the Apostle Paul was remembering our, our congregation in his prayers? I would. I would feel honored. To know that he considered us as a sound congregation doing the will of the Father, that is, spreading the boards of the kingdom in this area, and that he recognized that and felt that it's his need to pray for us. I would appreciate that. Now, Paul, regarding the church at Philippi, he loved them, and he thought about them often. And he says, every time I think about you, a smile comes to my face. I can't help but think about you. After all, this is a church that is a good, faithful, loyal congregation. And so Paul praises them throughout this book. And really the only time that he gives some serious instruction was when it had to do with a factious spirit by two individuals, some ladies in that congregation. And he had every reason Every reason to believe that those sweet sisters who had this friction between them had the ability to work it out. And he was in hopes that they would. And so Paul says, I know who they are. I know the kind of ladies they have been in the past. They can work this out, okay? And I have been refreshed by the women in this congregation before. They are good women, he says. And you tell those two to straighten things out because you see... Paul understood something very, very important. That if a congregation is at peace and doctrinally they are sound, then the devil wants to come and disrupt that, doesn't he? He wants to cause so much trouble because of that congregation doing what God has asked him to do. And so the way that the devil will do that is through disrupting communication with them. Now we've been talking about marriages on Sunday morning and what is it that disrupts marriages well it's a breakdown in communication is a breakdown in communication and it's also true in the church as well it is true between nations and the devil knows that you might recall in the 
opening chapters of Genesis that man only spoke one language. A tower was to be built, the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar. A tower was to be built towards heaven and this displeased God to the point that he confounded the language. What did that do? It stopped the building of that tower, didn't it? They had to disperse, trying to figure out who could speak the same language that I'm speaking. I don't. <coughs> and so they, they were going around trying to find somebody, and then they would take off and go here because like, I don't understand these people, and they don't understand me, and I don't understand them, and, and so on and so forth. They stopped building the tower. A good thing when it came to what God wanted to happen. God knows that disrupt communication. And they cannot continue doing what they were doing together. And so Paul says here, he goes, I know this church. I know this church. I want you to just stand strong, stand united, stand doctrinally sound, right? I want you to have a lot of love for one another. And I want you to learn how to rejoice. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Let me tell you something. If you ever send a letter or a note of encouragement to somebody special, just, just include that verse along with that. I worked with quite a few guys that I was able to study with at the Pinellas County Jail that now have gone to prison. I'm still in contact with them, and I, I always include Philippians 1, 3 through 5, because I do remember them. I'm always thinking of them and praying for their health and, and, and well-being. As they are Christians, they are brothers in Christ. They have obeyed the gospel. They're trying to strive to live the Christian life in a place that the devil has a hold of. As I'm thankful for them, and so I tried to send that special message to them in that note to them. It will mean something to those people when you do include that particular message in a special way. When I think about you, you make a smile come across my face and I have to give thanks for you every day. And so he says in verse four, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with, and there's our key word, joy. I have prayed for people before, but it was not a joyful prayer. I have known people who spiritually have become weak and strayed from the Lord, but I would lift their names up in prayer to the Lord, heartbroken over the past that these individuals have taken. But I have prayed on behalf of people who are grieving, who are hurting, but isn't it wonderful to pray on behalf of somebody and your heart is just filled with joy as you talk to your Heavenly Father about them. Joy. These people that the Lord has blessed my life and blessed them in return. Let your blessings fall down upon them. And, he, and Paul said, I love the church that meets here in this place called Philippi. He said, always in every prayer of mine, I make requests on behalf of the church at Philippi. And he says, and I do so with great joy, much joy. Now in verse five, he says, he thanks God for the fellowship that he has with them. A fellowship that is continual from the first day until now, he says. You know, throughout the period of time that one preaches, and you'll find that there will be brethren 
with which that you will enjoy sweet fellowship. And then something will happen and that fellowship becomes broken and, and it breaks your heart to think about that. But when you can look at a congregation or individual members of the church and you say for a long period of time that we have enjoyed sweet fellowship, that's, that is meaningful to you. That's meaningful to them to know that they know that they know that you have said that and that you believe that. Paul said, I have to thank God for the fellowship that we have had since the very beginning. Now, thinking about this, you, you want to talk about confidence. He said in verse 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about confidence building. Paul does it right there, doesn't he? He said, I believe in you. I have confidence in this congregation that you will continue to do great things on behalf of the Lord. And that brings great joy to me, he said. And so I have to bow to God and give him thanks for all that you mean to me and for all that you mean to the kingdom. But then let's move on. Paul also found joy in himself. Can you find joy by being alone? I mean, think about it. He's in the Philippian jail. It's possible that at this particular time he could be alone. You know, I've talked to some people before and they said it's so hectic in my house that I I just have to go and be alone for just a moment or two. It's just crazy. But you know, it can be very difficult for people to spend time alone over a a long period of time. And and there are some people that maybe they do not need to be alone for too long because it can wear on you. But we have those who, that we think about with regard to widows and widowers and, or individuals perhaps who for whatever reason have never gotten married or or maybe just some who are divorced and live alone but be mindful of these individuals because they oftentimes can get very lonely you know and then put yourself in the sandals of the apostle Paul here who was in prison alone cut off from the world I think about what uh, about Tom George and I think about Antoine Thompson and Willie Newton and so many more that I've had the privilege of corresponding with through Bible studies. Here's a man who's been chosen by God, right, to be an apostle, but now he's isolated. He is away from others. He can't be around his brethren anymore and he longs to be with them, but he finds joy in his life. How so? But here's what I want you to know, brethren. Look at verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Paul had his focus, focused, if you will, didn't he? He says, there is nothing more important to me than being able to see that the gospel being proclaimed, seeing that the kingdom is advanced, and I wasn't there, but knowing that you're doing it without me. 
how wonderful it is to think that Paul had that much joy within him. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What a way to look at it, right? When you really think about it, he's not having a pity party here in prison. He's not praying for himself while he's in prison. He's praying for the church at Philippi and for others that he knew. And so he says, I have learned that the things that have happened to me have actually been something that has been beneficial to the kingdom. Look at verse 13. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul had sacrificed greatly for these brethren. Now they, they saw Paul who was in prison because of his proclamation of the gospel and it, and it emboldened them. They might have continued to depend more and more upon the apostle Paul if he was out of prison. But now that he's in prison, Paul says, you, you brethren, you have stepped up to the bat. You have continued on. You are now doing things that I can't do. And if my bonds mean that you are growing and maturing and getting stronger, that's wonderful. I'm all for that. I'll stay here because I want to see you grow more. To grow. He says there are more brethren now who are more confident than ever because of my change. They are speaking the word without fear. Now notice verse 15. And this is where you really are introduced to the very heart of the Apostle Paul. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding... Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul says there are two kinds of preachers out there. One is with me promoting and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the other only wants to hurt me. He has selfish ambitions. His motives are impure. He appears to be your friend, but he's not. He's my enemy. But likewise, he's the enemy of Christ. As well. But I say this whether it's the one who's preaching out of love or through selfish ambition, the gospel is still being preached, right? The same gospel. And those who hear this preaching are becoming converts. And Paul says, I can rejoice if anybody is hearing the gospel and thus obeying it. What an attitude! What an attitude. Paul had learned that it was not about himself. It was about the Lord. And that brought him great joy. And so he finds joy in others. He finds joy in himself. Even if though he is in prison, he can be joyful. But then ultimately, his joy is tied to the Lord. And so we see the culmination of these thoughts in the next few verses. When the chapter reaches a crescendo, he says in verse 19, he says, For I know that this shall turn... To my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Lord Jesus or of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope 
that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Here it is. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is one of the most personal, most powerful, most profound verses than all the Bible. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've seen this verse on a gravestone, the grave marker of a pioneer preacher over the Sequatchie Valley, Tennessee. And he preached in the Tennessee Valley between Chattanooga and Huntsville. And the preacher's name was Charles Holder. Brother Holder was a great man, but he died in the mid-1960s. But this is the passage that is found on Brother Holder's gravestone in that cemetery in the Cumberland Gap in Chattanooga. Now, the way I read that passage was like this. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No, I needed to read it different than that. You see, I just hurriedly read right through it instead of reading it. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said anything that is worthy of the name of life is caught up in Christ. For to me, he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Joshua said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. You make that choice. You make the choice, and Paul says, you may choose something else to bring you satisfaction and happiness in life, but for me to live, truly live, is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me to live, he's not talking about just breathing here. He's talking about real life. He's not talking about making a living here. He's talking about making a life. Everything is caught up in life. Has to be associated with Christ in some way. And so Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. David said that there is but a step between me and death. 1 Samuel 20, verse 3. Just a step. This passage is just a comma. For to me to live is Christ. Comma. To die is. And he continues to go back and forth with this idea of living and dying. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gained. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, for I'm in a strait betwixt two. He says, I'm hard pressed. I'm hard pressed between two great thoughts, whether to stay here or to go on and be with the Lord. He says, regardless of what happens, guess what? Christ will be glorified. Christ will be glorified. And that's what is important. He said, I may die here in prison and that's all right. 
I'm going to die and be with Christ. I may get out, and if I get out, I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. But either way, he says, I'm happy. You know, at the beginning of a football game, what, what happened? Well, you have the coin toss, right? The officials of each team come out onto the field. They have a coin toss. They call it heads or tails. Call it heads or tails. Heads you win, tails you lose. Paul is saying right here, he's saying right here, when the coin of life is tossed, heads I win and tails I win. That's right. Either way, I win. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't defeat somebody like that. Not in any way. Either way, he says, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be filled with joy no matter what. He said, if I stay here, that's for your benefit. But if I go, that's for my benefit. Because to die is gain and be with Christ. It's far greater to be with the Lord. Why? Because that's how you know Jesus in the fuller sense. It will be a greater experience to be able to die and be with the Lord. What is life all about? What is life all about? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is why I think it's so very important as we study that verse that we bring Christ into everything that we do. Everything and let him be honored and let him be glorified. Let him be glorified. And when we include him in our decisions and our plans, that helps us keep our life in focus. But to die is gain, he says, didn't he? Now, not everyone's death is gain, is it? Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works. Do follow them, Revelation 14, 13. But you see, not everyone, when he dies, finds that death is a gain. But the one who can say, for to me to live is Christ, will find that to die is gain. The only one who dies in Christ, you see, dies in triumphant faith. Triumphant faith. And he goes on to receive a reward. What an enormous encouragement. What a marvelous statement to remind us of the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. A victorious life is a joyful life. And I'm thankful that the Lord has given me this life. That's how you can face life and whatever curves it throws your way. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 I can face it through Christ Jesus my Lord. Caught up in Him. Caught up in his life, his ways, his death, his resurrection. And then one day, literally, be caught up to meet him in the air. To forever be with him eternally in the heavens. This evening, if you're ready to become a Christian, we want to help you. We want to help you and assist you in every way that you can, by your faith and believing that Jesus is the Christ and repenting of your sins and making that good confession that when you go down into the waters of baptism spiritually you see the blood of Christ physically we just see water but it's a burial you die to sin you're buried in that watery grave but when you rise to walk in newness of life a child of God ready to take on the world ready to be a Christian ready to say for to me to live is Christ 
and to die is after you obey the gospel if you were to die for whatever reason heaven is your home Jesus said in John 14 1 through 3 he says let not your heart be troubled ye believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you everyone that is in here everyone that is out there that need to be in here for you isn't that wonderful he died shed his blood for you and if you believe that we hope that you'll make that decision tonight we're not guaranteed of tomorrow tomorrow may be too late but if you're here already a child of God you've done those things you've wandered off come back be right with the Lord once again. Be restored back to that first love. The time is now. We're about to sing a song of encouragement, number 348. Listen to the words of that song and think about your situation in life. Can you honestly say for yourself, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? If not, let's change that and fix that for you. Won't you come? As the other